Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. Well, uh, hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, we're here to talk about German politics, and uh, this is the extremely exciting year. It's the Superwahljahr. We've just had uh, two elections in, in two Länder or states, and then in September, we're going to have the federal German election, which will determine the composition of the personalities in the next German government, as well as some further state elections. So, um, uh, this is going to be a particularly momentous year because uh, although we don't know the party composition of the next German government, we don't know who's going to win. We do know that for the first time in 16 years, there will be a new German chancellor, whoever it may be. So uh, I'm Denzel Davidson. I'm uh, Global Council's advisor on EU institutions and, and multilateral uh, issues. And I'm joined by my colleague, Thomas Grotowski, who leads our macro team and used to work in the office of Thomas de Maizière, the then German defense minister. So as I've said, we've had a lot going on these two elections, which weren't great news for the CDU. And there's been a new national German poll came out yesterday, also bad news for the CDU. So Thomas, can you tell us what happened in these two states, Baden-Württemberg and Rheinland-Pfalz? Are there any common features to those elections? Thank you, Denzel. Uh, thank you very much for, for that kind introduction. And I think you're absolutely right that this year, will be very uh, important uh, for, for Germany and, and potentially beyond. These elections were really seen as the major electoral test this year ahead of the, the federal election, which is why there has been a lot of attention uh, on these elections. In terms of common features, so we need to keep in mind that both states were so far ruled by prime ministers who were from, uh, from the Social Democratic Party and, and the Greens. And, and the, the results have basically reinforced uh, the major governing parties in, in both states um, at the expense to, 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 to a large extent uh, of the Christian Democratic Union, uh, which I would say uh, has been uh, the big uh, loser of, of both uh, elections. Perhaps if we delve into, uh, into each state, in Baden-Württemberg, uh, we have since 2011 uh, a Green uh, Prime Minister, even though until th then, as since 1953, the state was ruled by CDU Prime Ministers. So that was a heavy defeat in, in 2011. And to see this year uh, the Greens even increasing their vote share to their best result in any state election ever, uh, while the CDU lost uh, another roughly uh, three percentage points fell to around 25%. That was clearly a, a shift in the political landscape in that state uh, that has been really remarkable. And I think that will, uh, that will leave its, it will have repercussions, of course, uh, beyond the state. The situation in Rheinland-Pfalz was a bit different, I would say. We, we had an, an SPD prime minister who ruled with a so-called traffic light uh, coalition. Um, so together with the Liberal FDP and uh, with the Greens. And here, the, the SPD as well was able to, to defeat, uh, to defend uh, better its position as, a, as the major uh, party, while the CDU again uh, lost. But here, actually, the smaller parties were able to benefit from this much more. And again, uh, the Greens perhaps stand out uh, because they clearly uh, managed to, to, to add a couple of points in the election and, and are now the, the third largest party 
uh, in, in the State Department. Uh, so I think these are perhaps the, the common features to summarize again, the major parties that were ruling both states in the last five years uh, won the election, the CDU was defeated in both, and the Greens in particular have been able to, uh, to, to make major gains. And do you think the what, what drove those two common features, uh, CDU slipping down, Greens on the rise, were they driven by, by regional factors principally or principally by national factors? In other words, is this going to have uh, a direct read across to what we can expect in September? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. In, in Baden-Württemberg, we have uh, a Prime Minister, uh, Winfried Kretschmann, who is very uh, popular uh, within the state. And I think if you look at uh, the polls uh, and, and you look at um, what drove uh, some of the election outcome for, for the Greens, it was clearly in part his uh, personality, also um, because he actually managed to get a lot of voters uh, of older age who traditionally vote for the CDU. Um, but perhaps what is equally important is that a couple of developments, uh, of course, nationwide, played a very important role. One is that the CDU, CSU, I have to say, uh, both sister parties uh, were embroiled in, in a mass scandal uh, just uh, 10 days before the elections, where members of the Bundestag benefited financially from business with, with face masks. And that uh, led to quite uh, an erosion in, in trust, I would say, among uh, many uh, supporters of the, of the CDU. Uh, and, and which is why I would argue, actually, that the result could have been much worse for the CDU uh, if there weren't as many mail-in ballots uh, as this year. Another reason is, I, I would say, that actually, even though Germany was for a long time seen as a poster child in how it manages the pandemic, I think this has changed uh, this year because of rising cases, because of a slow vaccine rollout, very complicated communication when it comes to, to, to the opening strategy, if you will. So I think there is an increasing uh, frustration also within the population that the government is losing a bit its, its control over the pandemic and in how it, it, it communicates it. So these perhaps two important ones on the CDU side. Of course, the last one is that if you're in power for a long time on the federal level, obviously you, you, you lose support over time and, and that has again played, played an important role as well. Yes, well, 16 years is a long time to be, uh, to be in power. I mean, what lessons are they are they drawing from these elections in Berlin? Is this changing anyone's thinking on how they should approach the campaign? And I guess the biggest impact is on on the the biggest decision not yet made for September's election, which is who is going to be the joint candidate for the chancellorship for the CDU and CSU, because Armin Laschet has been elected as chairman of the CDU. But he, that doesn't mean that he's nailed on to be the CDU-CSU's chancellor candidate. I mean, there's been a, a lot of talk about the Bavarian minister-president or prime minister, Markus Söder, uh, and he in the polls is, is much more popular than Armin Laschet, but, but it wouldn't be a straightforward decision for him either. And then we've had um, Jens Spahn, the health minister, mentioned too, but uh, right now, as you've set out, Having been Germany's health minister is not necessarily the best launching pad for a bid for the chancellorship, is it? It's not, uh, at least at the moment. Um, being being health minister made him quite quite popular, um, but obviously once the pandemic management is not seen as so successful anymore, then obviously that, that starts uh, to change. And now there are actually calls 
for for uh, Jens Spahn uh, to resign. But but back to your to your initial uh, question on on the lessons that are being drawn. I think one of the key uh, the key lessons or one of the the, the key areas the CDU now will have to focus on is to overcome the mass scandal as quickly as possible. I think there is a very clear recognition that uh, losing trust with the voters by doing uh, something, you know, engaging corrupt practices, that is really, uh, really, really something that, uh, you know, once you have lost it, it takes much longer to regain it. And, and, and that's why really always putting, that's always in politics, exactly. And that's why putting the mass scandal behind the party is really like the, the, the first uh, priority uh, now of the party. That, that's why the party has been now quite proactive in, 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 in trying to change. We, we have now a so-called lobby registrar, which was actually just approved a couple of, uh, of, of, of months ago. Uh, and where actually the CDU was quite, seen as a bit resistant to some uh, some demands that resistance has now obviously been uh, lifted because uh, there's a clear acknowledgement that um, this this crisis of the party needs to be uh, solved uh, very quickly some have even talked about um, a return of the, the party uh, a financial scandal that we saw um, in uh, after after coal uh, lost the election 1998 i think that's that's probably a bit overblown but but still i think that's that's the immediate uh, priority i think the second priority then uh, or yeah the second priority is obviously to get the pandemic management again you know on on a on a better foot better footing and i think it's very unclear how how this is uh, uh, supposed to happen especially if you if you look at the news um, germany stopped actually on monday the day after the election uh, vaccinations with the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, uh, which has been a key key plank of the German vaccination strategy. So there is an increasing recognition that actually, you know, the plans that the, the federal government had to basically offer every adult a vaccination until one week before the federal election, that seems increasingly uh, ambitious. And then the third, perhaps quickly, the third one is, you know, the CDU needs to formulate a vision for where it thinks, uh, you know, Germany and, and the party wants to be after, after Merkel. And I think there, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of policy work uh, that still needs to be done and where the party, because of, uh, you know, the leadership election and, and other factors actually has, has, has fallen a bit behind in, in, in doing that. Yes, so that is a quite a serious set of problems for the CDU because their, their polling numbers boomed when they were perceived to be handling the crisis competently and honestly. So it's no surprise that now they're no longer perceived that they are in trouble. But they need a leader. Uh, they need someone to take them into the campaign. So how are calculations being changed by these two state elections on that? That's a good um, good question. It's true that if you if you look at nationwide polls about who is seen as the better uh, chancellor, then Markus Söder from Bavaria uh, often uh, is, is way ahead of of Laschet, uh, who is the new CDU leader. Um, at the same time, I think Laschet really um, wants to become the candidate for chancellor. I think that is a very important prerequisite <laughs> to to um, to do that. 
and I think there, there are many factors actually where the CDU will still think uh, that he might be um, the, the better candidate. Uh, for one, I mean, he, he leads Germany's largest state, almost a quarter of uh, all Germans live in North Rhine-Westphalia. So having won that state in 2017, I think, uh, is, a, is a good um, application um, uh, for that uh, position. I also think that, that many in the CDU actually think that he is a bit uh, under, uh, underestimated, uh, that actually in, in campaigns, he can be actually quite, quite effective. And even, even um, uh, prime ministers, for example, of uh, Eastern German states that, that usually supported uh, perhaps Merz more in the CDU election, even they acknowledge that actually Laschet can be a quite effective campaigner. So I think they, they wouldn't uh, blame too much the current situation on Laschet also because, uh, I mean, he's only been in that position since uh, mid-January mid mid and, and the mass scandal clearly was out of his uh, control and also touches not only on the CDU, but also on the CSU. And maybe quickly on the CSU, I think the party has obviously its, its own uh, challenges. W one of the, the key challenges is that the CDU, CSU, needs to maintain a very strong position in Bavaria. And I don't think that after the 2018 election, where the party lost its absolute majority, there is much appetite for actually losing such a popular figure like Markus Söder, putting him in a national position where instead of defending Bavarian interests, he has to stand up for German national interests, which might sometimes go against Bavarian interests. And that's why uh, I think, um, you know, going with Laschet might be uh, the, the safer bet. Also, um, if I may add that losing Bavaria in the longer term would be quite, an, quite a big challenge uh, for the CDU. I don't think many in, in international media actually recognize how the CDU-CSU has lost ground across Germany over the last 16 years. It looks like a hollowing out, doesn't it? The hollowing out has been uh, dramatic, and I, I actually pulled out some statistics uh, yesterday just to make sure our audience understands it, because I think that is really important. So in, in 2005, when Merkel became chancellor, the CDU led 12 out of 16 states. Today, they are still the prime ministers in seven. They had an absolute majority in four states. Today, they have an absolute majority in zero states, which means that now CDU, CSU ministers on the state level are perhaps 40 to 45 percent of what they were in 2005. If you look at state level MPs, uh, about 45 percent of all state level MPs were from Christian Democrats in 2005. Now it's about 30 percent, so a drop by a third. And now you might say, you know, that hollowing out is, is, is normal because, uh, you know, if, you, if you're in power for a long time, then of course you start to lose support. But also, if you look at the membership of the CDU, from 2005 uh, to 2020, the party has lost 30% of its membership. The membership is very old. Uh, the, uh, the ratio of, uh, of new joiners to people who, who die or leave the CDU is obviously very much screwed towards the latter. So that the CDU has a much larger structural question and problem that it has to solve. And, and I think that, that that's why losing increasingly, you know, its, its traditional strongholds like Bavaria would be, would be quite, a, um, uh, quite a disaster a longer term for, for the party. So lots of things for the CDU and CSU to worry about. And 
looking at this election, given the what we've seen in those lender, given the, the recent poll, looks like this election is wide open. And there's another reason why we should think that the outcome is uncertain, because you know, right now Merkel is still the C Chancellor and CDU effective CDU leader. I mean, she's not uh, formally, but when people think CDU, they're like voters are right now likely to think about Merkel. But come September, then uh, she won't be on the ballot paper and it'll be someone else, whether Laschet or, or Zurda. And that's a different proposition for voters that many might not yet have digested. So there's quite a range of coalition outcomes, isn't there? We've got uh, Black Green, as it's called, CDU and Green. We've got the traffic light coalition of uh, the SPD, the Greens uh, and the, uh, the Liberal FDP. And then we've got uh, the, the, the prospect uh, the CDU would like to scare voters with, the red, red, green of the far left, the, the SPD and the Greens. So that's a, quite a wide range of outcomes. And uh, the composition of the coalition is likely to have quite an impact on policy too, isn't it? It definitely will. I think you're absolutely right to say that the election is, is wide open and, and these state elections were a very clear reminder of that. They were also a clear reminder that actually in terms of, um, uh, as, you, as you rightly said, uh, the type of coalition we'll see after September, that decision is very much open. It will depend, of course, on, on two factors. Uh, one is <laughs> the result in the election, which will tell us what is arithmetically possible. But um, it also then depends very much on which party is actually willing to form a coalition uh, together. Uh, and so if you look at, uh, at the latest polls that now came in after the state elections uh, on the, on the na national level, uh, actually only one coalition would be possible uh, that is also politically feasible, uh, and, and that is a, a Black-Green coalition. And I think that's why many people uh, have so far uh, focused on, on that coalition uh, for that reason. But a lot can happen in the next, next six months or so. And, and if you look at what is politically feasible, and where we see signals uh, of what might be desirable coalitions, if possible, then I think the traffic light coalition is certainly uh, something that will be, uh, will be one, one coalition option uh, to watch uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, I think there is a recognition within the parties outside of uh, the Christian Democrats that actually after 16 years of CDU leadership, having uh, someone else in the chancellery uh, might be actually a good thing. Uh, and that is, uh, I think, even something the, the FTP is willing uh, to consider. So the FTP was always a traditional coalition partner of Christian Democrats. That changed after they had a very unsuccessful, I would say, four years uh, with Merkel, um, after which uh, Merkel, well, it wasn't Merkel, but basically the party didn't even make it into the Bundestag in uh, 2013. And so it was heavily yeah. defeated. I remember Chancellor Merkel had a rather vampiric vote, uh, a vampiric effect on the FDP electorate. And uh, they spent four years being such dry by her. It, it, exactly. And I think there was, uh, uh, and the, the FDP, I think, uh, felt uh, that obviously the circumstances back then were quite difficult because of the Eurozone crisis and because of internal divisions also within the FDP. Uh, but Merkel also clearly did not give the FDP any any way to shine and so, so 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 that's why i think the the fdp has been quite quite skeptical of merkel um that's why they have been you know in 2017 left coalition talks uh, for jamaica coalition 
Uh, and that's why I think now they, they want to uh, chart their independent course uh, to see where they uh, might have more, perhaps uh, a better chance of reestablishing themselves while also getting some of their policy priorities uh, implemented. And um, what do you think might be the policy differences uh, domestically between uh, a black-green coalition and uh, a red-green-yellow coalition? Yeah, that, that's a very good um, good. Uh, question i think i think in terms of i mean there, there are wide there are wide uh, uh, ranging uh, differences i would uh, say um and and we shouldn't forget that in actually many areas the fdp is still quite close to the cu actually uh, and so you know you might argue even even if you have a traffic light coalition uh, you will have a lot of let's say traditional center right positions uh, brought into that coalition which is why it, it makes it uh, more more complicated i think you know, if you have a, a green chancellor, let's let's assume we have a traffic light with a green chancellor, then I think green priorities will obviously have a a, a, a larger larger influence on, on government policy that uh, involves energy policy, for example, where the Greens uh, have criticised uh, phasing out coal only by 2038, saying that's way too too late. We want to bring that forward to perhaps uh, between 2022 and 2030. Even I think that's uh, uh, the, the latest position. Um, there are questions about uh, mobility, uh, to what extent uh, hydrogen should be used uh, in, 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 uh, for, um, for cars, uh, how, how the government should, should support that, or you know, how, how, let's say, modern fuels uh, should, be, should be used for, uh, for the transition to, to net zero. There are also quite different views on, on the European level, um, at least between the Greens and CDU-FTP which is why the traffic light coalition wouldn't be uh, that easy. Greens have clearly said they want to have some form of fiscal union uh, with so-called euro bonds, uh, you know, to have like a, uh, a benchmark uh, euro denominated uh, debt instrument and so on, which would be obviously very difficult uh, with the CDU at the moment and also with the FTP. So there are a lot of uh, questions how actually then, you know, in a traffic light coalition, um, the FTP component would, would fit into that, I think. Uh, but there are quite a, quite a few areas where actually there would be material differences uh, still. Yes, I mean, the, the election is obviously being watched very, very keenly in Brussels because uh, there are some big issues at stake uh, for, for where the German government uh, goes next. Uh, I mean, Germany is you know, by ahead the most important member state uh, and it's sort of the wealthiest uh, and in many ways it's the best networked politically too and there is there is a whole range of some really important questions coming up for the EU in which uh, where Germany sits is going to be fairly crucial so you've got uh, uh, foreign policy questions and of course on the foreign policy who the chancellor is really matters um, the the chancellery is capable of elbowing out uh, the Ausbetikasamt, uh, the German Foreign Office, out of the way on these questions. And uh, they are they're called uh, Chefsache, matters for heads. Uh, so there's the questions of um, where the new chancellor stands, where the new German government stands on the transatlantic relationship, uh, how that relates to the new doctrine of the EU strategic autonomy. The French are watching really closely where... Uh, uh, the new German government might end up on that balance. What the new chancellor's and government's attitude is to Russia, to China. Uh, and as you've said, 
um, well, there's the broader question of, of European integration. We've got the um, uh, the conference on the future of Europe just starting up now. Not really loved anywhere outside the Elysee or the European Parliament, but it's there. And who knows, the next German Chancellor might be an enthusiast for it. That would change its prospects. But as you've said, we've got the question on the future of the Eurozone. And we've just had uh, the recovery fund, which is uh, uh, you know, a significant potential step towards a transfer union. But the recovery fund is meant to be a one-off. So whether the next German Chancellor and government thinks it should be a one-off or should be and a precedent to something permanent, that is really a, a first order question. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you touch on a, 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 lot of, uh, uh, a lot of issues there. Uh, I will actually then return the question of how that is seen um, outside of Germany. I think that's uh, quite important as well. Um, I think on foreign policy, uh, you're right to say that the chancellery, especially actually on, on uh, EU matters uh, is, is basically in the driving seat. In, in terms of uh, the, the key policy differences, uh, I would say uh, on the one hand, the CDU, CDU, CSU has been, I would say the most uh, transatlantic oriented uh, party in Germany, going back uh, to, to Adenauer, the first chancellor of Germany. Uh, and so having uh, the CDU uh, not in, in the chancellor, I think uh, chancellery uh, might give that uh, relationship at least uh, uh, less weight, I would say, no, I don't think any of the mainstream uh, German parties uh, would want to change it dramatically. But I think it's a question of, of where do you uh, spend your, your, uh, your time and, and, and resources. Um, the Greens are um, you know, obviously very pro-European. Um, that is quite clear. I think on fiscal Eurozone matters, um, they, are, they are more open to, to mutualization and, and so on. Definitely. But on uh, foreign policy, uh, perhaps uh, outside of, of Europe as well, I think um, CDU and also SPD, uh, I would say, are more pragmatic um, when it comes to dealing with uh, countries like, uh, like Russia, China, also Turkey, shouldn't forget that. And I think with the, green, um, with the Greens in government or even having a, a Green uh, Chancellor, um, or I think what is perhaps more likely if we have a Black Green, then it might be a foreign minister who is from the Greens. Um, then I think human rights considerations uh, will play a much bigger role. The Greens have been very vocal in, for example, opposing Nord Stream 2. Um, the pipeline has not yet been uh, completed. Uh, I think uh, work has been uh, restarted in, in late January. Um, but, you know, there are the whole questions whether a project like this will, you know, will take place, but perhaps uh, be... Uh, you know, reduced in ambition and what comes through the pipeline. Uh, and, and, and all of these, these questions, uh, I think, uh, will be, um, will probably, with, with a greater green influence, uh, be much more on, on the agenda. Um, Indeed, I, I think that's quite right. And uh, you know, a higher profile for human rights and German foreign policy, uh, well, that is going to have a read across, if it's going to mean anything to Germany's relations with, with Russia and China. But the other thing, I mean, the party composition, if you, as you've set out, is going to matter a lot. But the other thing that I think is going to matter is the personality of the next chancellor, because I've, I've, for my sins, I think I have been to North, attended North of 20 European councils in my previous jobs, uh, following British prime ministers there. And uh, Merkel has been a dominant feature of those European councils. She's been chancellor for 16 years. And her astonishing 
skill and diplomacy and her personality have really shaped how they've they've run you know she's been able to lead but lead with tact and sensitivity and that's affected how other eu leaders see germany's strength they've been happy for her to be um, a coalition builder in europe uh, she's very much on focused on finding solutions and which not every leader always is but not just solutions for germany solutions that work for others and you know at times what i've seen from the the delegation room in the European Councils. She's actually been the de facto president of the European Council, you know, not uh, Donald Tusk or Van Rompuy or Charles Michel. She's done the real, the real job. She's banged the heads together in the room. So uh, her departure is going to be a real loss for the European Council. And it'll be very interesting to see whether whoever's next uh, can fill her shoes and what sort of relationship can they forge with with president macron and how does germany uh, manage germany is in some ways europe's pivotal power how does it keep north and south together and east to west together and that job has been has become harder with britain's departure you know britain was there and the, the liberal north uh, and the at times economically liberal anyway but certainly security focused East knew that they had a, a, a big member state champion in Britain, but now that big member state champion has gone, the EU is rebalancing and it's kind of falls to Germany as the member state who ought to have the most sympathy for North and East uh, to make sure that they feel that their interests uh, are, are being accounted for. So uh, that is that's a, a big list of asks for whoever's next. It, it is a very big list, and I mean, I my 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 question would actually, you know, now that you 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 mentioned that that very long list, how do you actually see that how the state elections are being seen in Brussels and in other um, you know European uh, capitals? Is there is there do you think there's a fear that that actually the the efficiency in the European Council, for example, uh, that we have uh, seen um, is you know, will be undermined, uh, that, that the EU will be functioning uh, in a much slower, perhaps, way? Or, or, or what, do you, what is your, your view on that? So, uh, because of the, uh, the pandemic and you know, continent-wide near lockdowns, the usual uh, Brussels conversation isn't quite working uh, as fluently as it used to. But in national capitals, they are watching these elections very, very closely. They are putting out feelers to uh, the various parties and they're calculating how how things might change. And um, uh, they are going to be uh, impatient to get in there and start with whoever's, whoever uh, uh, wins the election, whatever coalition is formed. But as we all know, uh, everyone's going to have to be patient because coalition formation in Germany can take a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we got a question. Um, so I can also just remind people we have a Q&A function that you can use um, uh, to submit your, your question. I, I know we don't have that much time left, but if there are any questions, please submit them as soon as you can. We got one question on, on, on Britain's view in particular. I think uh, yesterday we saw a new British, uh, it's called the Integrated Review, a new strategy where it quite specifically asks um, to sign a, a new foreign policy document with Germany 
uh, to, to identify perhaps some of the, the common areas where cooperation between both uh, countries uh, should be um, beneficial. Um, so what do you think now with Britain outside of, of Europe, um, you know, what would be uh, the areas of cooperation? What are perhaps the hopes that, that Germany moves closer to, uh, to British policy perhaps? Well, uh, in one way, I think German, we, no, there will be elements of stability to German policy, whatever the next government is. So whatever the next government is, there will continue to be close cooperation, say, on climate change. But uh, in Britain, they'll be looking uh, at, I think, two things in particular, uh, and they're related things. The first is uh, Germany's approach to EU strategic autonomy, how closely aligned it will be with Paris, in seeing this as exclusively EU strategic autonomy, with not much opportunity for other European countries to, um, to partner with that. You know, where Germany stands on the transatlantic relationship, uh, this British government wants uh, uh, a transatlantic approach, and uh, how committed Germany will be in its policy towards Russia, on values and balance between that and economic interests and, and the belief one finds in some quarters of, of the German policy establishment that uh, you must always draw Russian, Russia in, that's the way to get the best behaviour out of the Kremlin. And of course, Germany's approach to, to China and how strong the human rights role will be there. We've seen in yesterday's paper that Britain uh, is trying to strike a balanced relationship with China uh, recognizing the areas where cooperation is needed, uh, recognizing that the, the, the fraughtness, the difficulty of the economic interest of growth, but also the security issues in, in the relationship with China. So, and then there are the human rights issues as well. So uh, that will be an important conversation uh, that the two sides will have to have. Yeah, that's really, um, really interesting. And uh... I guess the the political feasibility of some of that then uh, will depend on clearly on the, on the election outcome. Um, not sure how how much uh, room Germany has this year to sign something amb ambitious uh, with the UK. Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, I think we got one one further question, yeah. uh, which I think you're probably best uh, to answer, which is about uh, the threat from the AFD. Been growing in popularity in East German states, didn't do so well in these two lender elections in the West. Um, how much of a, of a threat uh, is it, do you think, to the, to the other parties and yeah. the effect it might have on the formation of the next government? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And um, I apologize for actually omitting uh, the AFD when I talked about uh, the state elections. Uh, obviously, um, the, the AFD is still an important factor to. Uh, take into into consideration uh, in the state elections now uh, they lost quite significantly i think they lost about a, a third of uh, their vote share in 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 either state um however they are important because the german bundestag will very likely have a majority uh, right of center um after september but the fact that uh, uh you know no one will be willing to Form a coalition with the AFD uh, means that you know the traditional camps that we had in Germany of either let's say CDU, CSU, FDP, or uh, Greens and SPD that you know neither of these camps is large enough to form a form a majority. 
and and so in that sense um uh they're very important and i think the elections also signal that even though perhaps the afd doesn't have momentum at the moment because for example refugee uh, or migration issues are less uh, prominent they still manage to establish themselves in in parliament and they still have in both states you know almost 10 percent and so 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 that is obviously a, a big problem for for the cdu because to a large extent it takes away 10 percent from from christian democrats that would be enough to to basically form probably a coalition with the fdp uh, and so that that, that is still very important 39 percent and 29 percent it's a it's a huge huge difference exactly uh, and uh, if it was a party that you could form a coalition with like for example um, in bavaria we have the free voters um who who now joined government with the csu um then that would be a completely different uh, different situation but with a party like the afd i think um it's obviously a, a big challenge for for the cdu and a challenge which contributes to uh, to the to the fall of the party's um you know general uh, connection or link uh, or, and 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 uh, strength uh, within within german states and on the federal level well, Thomas, uh, thank you. Thank you to our audience for their questions. It's always fascinating listening to you about German politics and policy. And we'll continue to follow this very closely uh, because this is uh, the most uncertain German politics has been for a long time. And as we've discussed, it could have some significant implications for German policy. So thank you to everyone. Goodbye. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council. <laughs>